Well, welcome to The Journey. Uh, my name is Kevin Polkey, and I am the host of The Journey. And today we have a, uh, an extra special guest with us. Uh, this is uh, going to be introducing to all the listeners, Mark Ellert. And uh, he is an individual that reached out to me uh, probably a couple months ago. I think you reached out to me, Mark, and, and you got some of your uh, some of your own passion projects that align with uh, the conversation we've been having over the last few weeks as we transition out of uh, Suicide Awareness Month in September and then trans transitioning into um, this first week, October, as Mental Health Awareness Week. And then, um, and then there's uh, obviously an emphasis on um, mood disorders and depression in the month of October. Not that those are the only months that we talk about suicide or or depression and mental health, but um, well, welcome to the journey. Yes, thank you very much for inviting me, Kevin. I'm very proud to be here. It's a passion of mine. Yeah. So. Uh, before- one of the questions I always ask whenever we have a guest on is I ask, uh, so Mark, when you have an opportunity to have have fun, what are the things that you do that kind of fuel you, kind of recharge you? What do you do when you have when when you want to have some fun? One of my biggest things is music. I'm a, I'm a third generation drummer playing music now for about 25 years. My spare bedroom, my studio room is actually a studio bedroom where I actually have my drum set, all of my guitars and music equipment. When I, I want to unwind and do something that I love, I play music. And gotcha. when I'm not playing, I'm listening to music. Gotcha. And and so with that, I, I know uh, when I was growing up in, in, in college, um, my college roommates uh, played in a played in a, a rock band and mostly covers, but they they would they would modify some songs, either speeding them up or slow them down. And they did a little bit of the writing of of their own. Um, but I also know that uh, we had certain rules in the house uh, that uh, outside of practice or when they were playing, uh, you know, a gig or whatever, um, there was no, uh, you couldn't play any rock and roll music. There was no rock music being played. They had to be blues, it had to be jazz, it had to be classical music, um, was the rules that we wouldn't get fall into a pattern of, uh, of of playing the same music over again and then, you know, kind of burning out. on Plus, their idea was that they wanted to be exposed to other types of genres of music. Now, you know, certain when certain, uh, well, back then albums came out, they weren't, they weren't CDs yet. Um, that, uh, that doesn't mean that we didn't, you know, get those, uh, those albums or those cassettes or whatever, and listen to them when they first came out. But that was a general rule. So for you, Mark, what uh, if you gravitate toward a particular genre of music? What 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 genre has influenced you the most? That's a good question because when I first started playing music, hard rock and heavy metal are my biggest influences. I personally, uh, I didn't listen to lyrics so much. wasn't a vocalist. I really paid attention to the instruments and. Studying music, actually, uh, I find the most talent, the most raw talent in heavy metal. The way they play guitar and the way they shred on the drums, that's where I was drawn to and played the most. But over the years, I've learned to actually really gravitate now more towards lyrics. Being an emotional, sensitive person, I relate to lyrics now, just not connecting with the music. So I've been expanding more. And actually, recently, I've been playing in a blues classic rock cover band, playing some old classic blues that I absolutely love doing just because I relate to the lyrics and I've been, I've been spending more time singing actually. It's becoming a passion of mine, just being able to belt it and get some of my emotions out there and just singing and really believing the lyrics. So that's one thing that has really helped me expand quite a bit. When I'm just sitting down playing drums, I'll, I'll wail out on some metal, but when I'm playing guitar or want to get in a groove, I'll, 
I'll be I'll be doing some singing, playing some blues. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, and I definitely think. That, I mean, like in in many aspects of life, I think we evolve, right? We we grow and we evolve. We, you know, regardless if it's people we encounter or experiences that we have or things that we're exposed to that, you know, allow us to go through another door at that at that new stage of our development. And so it sounds like that has definitely been the case for you um, in your musical journey. So, well, good deal. Well, Mark, you are, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where, you, where you're from and and some of your family dynamics, and then, uh, and then tell us a little bit about your story, about what led to you besides your passion for music, but you also have another passion too. Yes, I certainly do. And uh, my other passion is actually is helping spread mental health awareness. One of my particular catchphrases I use all the time, mark my words, mental health awareness saved my life. The reason for that is uh, I am actually a suicide survivor. And I will go in a little more depth about that. But to give you some of my background, I'm currently actually in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Been living here my whole life, actually. I'm just very, very familiar with it. So I like to stay where I'm familiar with as well as the public transportation here is pretty darn good. The Chicago is a very, very heavily populated, visually impaired city. That's one thing about myself is actually on September 12th, 2004, age 19, is when I particularly actually had an attempted suicide, which resulted in a traumatic brain injury that also took my vision. So I went from 20-20 vision to total blindness. So it took a long time to rehabilitate myself. But after being able to rehabilitate myself, I've become so high-functioning and independent. I mentioned the, the, my apartment, my spare bedroom I have is my studio room. I've been living on my own now for about eight years, have my own apartment, all of my own free space and independence, very high-functioning and independent. And after being able to rehabilitate myself, on top of having a mental illness, also losing my vision and having the guilt and the regret that it was my doing, it took me a lot to rehabilitate myself, but since I was able to do it, I know that anyone out there can be able to do it when they're struggling with something. So I try to share my history and resources that have helped me come so far. So anyone out there struggling with their mental illness can recognize the signs and know how to stop doing something they regret, as well as knowing they're not the only one. And I also share my resources to help anybody who's newly acquired a visual impairment where they, they feel like it's difficult but I share things to help them know it's possible to be independent if I can do it. And a lot of the reason, or a lot of ways I do that is uh, the village that I lived in here for Mundelein, actually. I was a, a volunteer for the village where I would orchestrate musical events to get consumers and villagers to come out to play music or share their art. And I would publicly do some speaking. I would get up there and, and share my history of suicide and mental illness. I would uh, encourage people to do the things that they enjoy. And I just let people know that mental illness is a disease. It's an epidemic out there right now. And it's it's common. So I don't want people to be struggling silently. I want them to vocalize things. Because give you an idea where I'm living in Lake County, suicide rate is actually the 10th highest uh, rate of death in the entire county. It's, it's a very, very common thing that I try to bring to people's awareness. So when I'm not doing it publicly for the village and places, I'm also doing it on my YouTube as well as reaching out to individuals like yourself, Kevin, to try to find people who are trying to spread awareness so we can connect together on a good platform and be able to, to share our passion together. And um, I do live by myself, but I my, 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 my brothers are very close to me. Both of them live in the same county, my two full blood brothers. 
we have a really good bond and a good, great connection. Um, don't have a great relationship with my parents. That was one of the things that actually growing up led to my mental illness and my attempted suicide. Um, at a very young age, actually, uh, my parents, my birth parents were divorced. And when my biological mother had custody, she was sexually abusing me, actually. And I was at such a young age, I didn't retain it or know what was right or wrong. I was five years old. And eventually, authorities caught on and my biological mom completely lost custody. And uh, I had my, my, my dad and my stepmom had full joint custody or full, full custody of myself. But I never, I never really had an understanding of what happened. I was never put through therapy or never talked to any professionals. Family didn't really help me too much understand what happened. Basically, as a child, I was under the impression that my biological mom just walked out of my life. I had no reason or understanding for it. My mom was a subject I couldn't even bring up. I couldn't even mention or talk about my biological mother around my family because then I would be punished. I would physically be grounded or be in trouble. So to me, I felt like I was being punished for something I didn't even do. So I, I really, really had some insecurities and I really, really felt just full-blown unloved growing up. I felt unloved and worthless that my mom could just walk out of my life. I had no reason in understanding and my parents wouldn't even talk to me about it or let me know. It was something that was hidden from me. So I had some issues growing up. I, since my parents wouldn't talk to me and let me talk things, that's why I would shove things down and be like, what's the point of even asking questions and trying to talk to people about things? I didn't know how to vocalize things because I thought people wouldn't want to listen to me or want to help. So growing up, I had insecurities. I basically, I just felt like the whole world didn't love me and I would just do anything to try to make people happy because I just, I felt empty and worthless inside. All I wanted to do was just try to make people happy everywhere I went. But in the end, I was still just feeling lonely and empty inside. When I come home by myself, I was still just, it wasn't working for me. I, I over time in, in therapy and through a, uh, addressing my mental illness, I was able to realize that was the whole promise. I never loved myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't love myself. So I was always just looking for it from an outside source somewhere. And even though I was getting it from people, I wasn't retaining it or feeling it because I didn't love myself. To me, it was just easy to just reflect it off and not physically think it was love or support or care because it wasn't coming internally for myself. It was easy for me to ignore it or not want to retain it. I was just obsessed with the idea that, that people didn't care, which is why eventually in 2004, age 19, it led to my attempted suicide. I, I basically, I wanted to tell the world that I was unhappy. I wanted people, I wanted to say, hey, look, I feel unloved. I want you to show me that you love me. I also was ultimately feeling very disrespected and hurt by a lot of people in my life. I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know how to tell them. I don't like what you just did to me. You hurt me. I basically wanted to do something to make them feel guilty. I wanted people to feel guilty and have regret for treating me a certain way. And I wanted them to show me that they care. But through therapy and through things, I realized if I was successful with my attempt, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to know if they cared or not. I wouldn't be able to see or feel that regret and guilt that they had. They wouldn't be able to show me they love me. They wouldn't be able to actually change the way they feel about me and give me a support system. That's why I've, it was 19 years ago and I've never attempted again and never will. 
is because I know it was ultimately, it was not going to resolve anything. It was just punishing myself, even though I just, just internally wasn't loving myself. I wasn't feeling it from the outside world. I wanted people to have guilt and regret. But if I'm gone, I can't feel that regret. Can't feel that love. So I'm staying now and I'm loving myself and doing the things that I enjoy. I, I, I know how to vocalize things. When uh, someone hurts my feelings or does something that I feel has betrayed me, I know how to vocalize it and say something so I'm not struggling with it internally. Um, and that's, that's something I've, I've learned to do is basically just be able to accept the fact that I have abandonment and rejection issues. I accept the fact that I have a mental illness and anxiety. I accept my disorder. I accepted my blindness. But once I've accepted it, I've been able to be so high functioning and independent. Through therapy once a week, it gives me a chance to be able to express myself and talk it out with someone and just really be able to process things and not just be so wound up and emotional in my head trying to sort it out. I also see my psychiatrist, which helps me medicate myself with the things that I can't do on my own, just processing and talking through my emotions when I need those extra things to help my anxiety or my post-traumatic stress. When I need those things to help my insomnia, I talk to my doctor and they help, they help me find medications. So through therapy and my psychiatrist, I found the right balance to help myself stay even keel and just love myself and love life and do the things that I enjoy. And also through therapy, I've accepted my loss of vision. When I first went blind, I was in denial and I tried to do everything the same way I used to. And I wasn't, it wasn't working for me. I was ultimately feeling worthless and like I couldn't accomplish anything because I just, I couldn't do things the same way. And I didn't want to accept the fact that I was blind. So I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I gave up a lot and isolated myself from the world. But eventually I came out of my shell. I started accepting my vision loss. I went to the ICRI, Illinois Center for Rehabilitation Education, which is a division of the Chicago Lighthouse. So I rehabilitated myself and was able to learn things about my visual impairment to stay high functioning and independent. And I'm actually a part of quite a few different resources, like the Lake County Center for Independent Living, which helps me with resources and be a part of a community of people that also have different abilities so we can relate to each other and share things that help ourselves. And that, that's what I'd be able to do. And with all that, that's what I share with my YouTube. I, I share on my YouTube my resources to help people who acquire a different ability, who need help and resources and support, as well as people who are struggling with their illness. I want them to know that mental illness is real. It's, it's not, you're not the only one that a lot of people struggle with it. So if you can admit it and talk to someone about it, you don't have to be suffering by yourself. You, you can be able to find the right treatment plan, the right things to help you. So Mark, that's a, that's a, I mean, it's not only is it uh, horrific what you know, the trauma that you experienced, you know, growing up, but, you know, you, you pointed out uh, an aspect of not only did the trauma happen, but it was how other people who were caregivers for you, how they handled it was then built into the narrative, the story that you were telling yourself about why was my mom not here? What was going on? And, 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 and it was, sounds like the silence around what happened, even though it was probably driven by their anger and, and uh, all those things, it, it probably wasn't out of malice that they, they didn't want to talk about it. It was just, they themselves probably didn't know how to talk about it and they were probably angry about it. Right. Um, or, and guilty because they weren't able to protect you and, you know, all those different things. And, and so, you, 
if, if I'm tracking, at 19, you have this attempt. And um, and I normally don't normally I don't talk about this piece, but I think in this case, I think it's 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 relevant that we do because of what ended up happening. Normally, I don't ask a survivor um, the the how they were attempting to take their life, but in this particular case, it was it was a direct consequence. Your blindness, your traumatic brain injury, and blindness was a direct consequence of the way you attempted am i understanding correctly very much so yes because of my attempt september 12 2004 it um uh, it caused a traumatic brain injury that that severed both my optic nerves and made me completely blind i also i have a lot of reconstructive surgery my entire right orbital socket my my eye socket was shattered my whole left side of my face my cheek and eye eye socket as well as actually jaw was completely shattered and rebuilt Gotcha. And, and and what was the means that you attempted to take your life? It was a gunshot wound to the head, actually. I uh, I put a thirty eight uh, Smith & Western to my head point blank. Gotcha. Okay. And, and in this particular case, right, be, because of of the attempt and, it, and the damage that it caused, right, then it was irreparable. I mean, the facial, obviously, from from this angle, I don't. It doesn't even look like you have any deformities at all, you know, from that end of it. But obviously, you know, from the from the blindness, was there other was there other uh, injuries to to your brain besides um, be, besides the optic nerves? Yes, there was actually when the the incident first happened and I was discovered um, because the bullet actually scraped my frontal lobes of my brain. It actually it did severe short term memory loss as well as just in general damage. I was actually, I was in a coma and on life support for about eight weeks before I, I came out of the coma and doctors were able to finish the reconstructive surgery and do things. I, I They were just keeping my brain stable and alive. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, clearly, right. I mean, this, this is, you know, I've, I've, over the years, I've interviewed a handful of different individuals, either clients of mine or because of the opportunity of 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 this podcast and shatter our silence i've talked to a handful of different individuals who survived and 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 the majority of them if not well i should say all of them not the majority have made a comment when they've had their near-death experience that um you know kevin hines is is has, you know, has spoken many, many times after he survived jumping the Golden Gate, jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, that upon leaving the platform, um, he, along with the other 30 some uh, survivors, all said the same thing, that they didn't want to die. Um, they clearly wanted their pain to stop. And they thought because of the mental illness um, lying to them, they thought that was the only way that the pain would stop. But that five second fall to to the ocean um he he stays very clearly that he kept saying that he didn't want to die he didn't want to die um what, yeah tell me your thoughts about that because obviously with a gunshot it it it's not a five second process i mean it's a it's a it's an immediate and the impact was immediate so t- tell me what what is your thoughts with with when kevin hines made that comment I relate to that quite a bit because even though the gunshot was instantaneous and I didn't have time to reflect then, I stood there for a few moments holding that gun reflecting. And actually, when I had the notion, the idea to commit suicide, I didn't actually think I'm going to die. I never realized I'm going to die. I'm going to kill myself. The whole thing was just 
I'm going to make people feel guilty. I'm like, yes, people are going to know how I feel. People are going to get it that I'm damaged. People are going to feel guilty. This is how I'm going to say I'm not okay right now. I need help. Someone talk to me. Someone help me. I, that's what, that's what I thought I was doing. I did not make the connection. I wouldn't be here anymore and get that help. But at one point, see, when this was all happening, this was all emotion-based. At this moment, when I was attempting my suicide, I was just full-blown emotional and I wasn't using the rational side of my mind. I wasn't thinking clearly. And at one point, right before my attempt is when my rational mind started creeping up a little bit. I was holding that gun, staring at it, standing in the park. And I went, all right, you're here. This is what we're doing. Like, I stopped and went, what are you doing? Why are you here? And that's the one point I went, okay. I decided I put the gun in my mouth and I just started laughing to myself hysterically and pulled the gun out of my mouth. And then I thought for a second, like, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to put it? So then I again actually put it in my mouth and went, no. And then I flipped it upside down, had it pointing upwards. And then I hysterically started laughing and said, no. And that's when the the reality of it dawned on me. Like, this is really what you're doing. Do you have any idea what's going to happen? And I have no gun education. I don't know anything about handguns. The gun I was using was my roommates at the time. I didn't know anything about it. I just had access to it. And at one point I just stopped and went, is this even going to work? Is this gun loaded? Is the safety on? I don't even know anything about this. I was asking myself a lot of questions that was trying to make me stop and hesitate from what I was doing. I was losing that emotional high. I was losing that. Yes, people are going to get it. I was just, what, what am I doing? Is this what's happening? I, at one point I thought about pointing the gun off in the distance to see if it would work and just fire it. And I went, no, if you fire that, you're honestly going to get scared and you're going to realize the power of what you're holding and you're going to stop what you're doing. You had a plan. You came here with intent. You know what you're doing. Mark, don't back down. Don't stop doing this. You had a plan. You had a, you were onto something here. This is what you're doing. And the, I, I just kicked myself back into gear. I stood up and literally put the gun to my head and pulled the trigger and didn't stop and think. I just said, this is what you're doing. As I'm a, I'm a person where I stick with my conviction. When I have conviction, I follow through with it. I was telling myself that I'm weak and wrong if I decide to not follow through with my plan just because the emotional high thought it was going to resolve it. But when I had that moment of clarity, I realized this is wrong, but I didn't want to lose that emotional high I was having. So I did it. But that's why I'll, I'll never I'll never be there again. I let my rational mind come out and I don't think just purely emotional. Well, and, and obviously you, you said a couple of times already that you know, one of the many things that you learn by going through this experience is that you can get the help. You're a whole lot stronger than you believed pre-September 12th of, of, of 2004. Um, you know, obviously you, you, you see yourself in a completely different perspective now and what you can do, you know, you know, regarding the rehabilitation and how you've created a life for yourself and, and all those types of things. Could you maybe share a little bit more about this aspect of, because not only, you know, did you, were were you able to survive the gunshot, but the consequences, one was, was the, 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 the structural damage, the, the, um, the, the permanency of, of the blindness. Now you have to recreate your, your life. There's a, there's clearly in this case, a before right before September 12th. And then there's an after. And, and so tell us a little bit about, because Mark, how old are you right now? I'm 38, actually 38. Okay. Uh, so you're 38 years old and 
what would what does the 38 year old mark now knowing what he knows over the last 19 years what would he be telling the 19 year old mark i'd be telling myself listen to your gut right now your gut is telling you to not do this wait till your brother gets home wait till your roommate comes home have a conversation with someone i was home by myself just i was I was ruminating too much on things and I, I I would tell myself to just stop thinking about what you're thinking about. Just let it go and talk to somebody when you have the opportunity. Bounce these ideas off of someone. Let them know how you're feeling and what you felt, the way you felt disrespected and rejected, the way you're thinking some bad ideas. And they, they will reassure you and let you know that it's not worth it. They'll remind you that people do care and that you're just having an emotional thing. You're going through a little, little something, but everybody has those moments. You can pull yourself out of it when you when you stop being so reflecting or ruminating about it, when you stop being just so obsessed with that one thing. Well, and and I imagine, you know, you, you talked about being close with your brothers and 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 there's probably other individuals who have over the last 19 years um, actually followed through with those promises of showing up um, and have, have been there with you. And I imagine, you know, if you're like, if you're like me and like many of us, uh, it hasn't been an easy, uh, smooth path just because you may have a strong conviction. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all been rainbows and unicorns, right? This is correct. It has been a hard path, but I try to actually look at myself as a stronger person. I don't try to make it negative and go, man, it's been so hard. Why is my life difficult? I look back at it and I go, dude, look at the mountains you've climbed. It's been difficult, but you overcame it and you accomplished really, really learn to appreciate the goals and be grateful for the things you've done. And don't always just be so hyper-focused on what went wrong and what you're not happy with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th I think that's a, I think there's some great, great points, you know, regarding that. And so um, what I'd like to do, one of the, one of the big things that I talk about when I, there's two big things now when I go and do suicide awareness talks in the schools um, either with educators um, or with the students, um, you know, obviously we talk about, you know, the the risk factors, the warning signs, you know, when you're when a friend comes to you, um, because most likely we know that uh, a friend is going to go to another friend than before they go to a professional. Like you said, you most likely would have gone to your roommate or your brother um, before you would have just randomly called somebody up, um, meaning like a, a professional counselor or therapist. But we also talk about developing resilience. The, the idea, the belief behind it is that if if we if we have developed that resilience that when the darkness comes, when the setbacks happens, when the obstacles come in our life, we will have something to draw off of um, because we've, we've faced other obstacles before. And obviously that's a part of your message um, that you have addressed these things. The second piece that we talk about along with that is, is this idea of um, uh, discovering a purpose, uh, discovering meaning, meaningfulness in life. And, and that uh, once again, taking your, your pain that, that you've experienced through, through this and then turning it into, um, a purpose, uh, uh, you know, either through your music or through your speaking or through your YouTube channel um, has, has, you know, so you have a story of resilience, you have a story of, of purpose now. And so maybe, maybe just touch on 
for you, what were some of those things that you learned about Mark that you wouldn't have learned if September 12th of 04 wouldn't have happened? So I, I was able to learn basically that uh, because uh, of my mom, biological mom not being in my life, I, I learned that I have abandonment rejection issues. I learned that I have some emptiness in me because I felt unloved from an outside source because I wasn't loving myself. I just basically had to, I knew I loved myself, but I didn't really retain it. It's I wanted to love myself, but just didn't know how to. I would always just do things to make other people happy, hoping they would appreciate me so they would love me. But I've learned to be able to do things to help myself. Rather than be a selfless person and just give the entire world everything, I'm kind of a self, uh, selfish person occasionally now. I've learned to love myself and do things that make Mark happy. I don't deprive myself thinking I'm not worth it and just giving everything I have to the world. I give my experiences and what I've learned about myself to the world to help them grow and be better people. But I've learned to be a selfish person when I need to and take care of myself. I've learned how to give myself good sleep. I've learned how to compliment myself, treat myself well and do the things that I enjoy. I've, I've learned how to love myself and treat myself well rather than punish myself or deprive myself of things, feeling like I, I deserve that. Because that's what I did is I would treat myself horribly feeling like I deserved it. Mm. But I, I, I now have turned around and realized I deserve so much better. I deserve to love myself and be happy. And that's why I want anyone else out there to know that you don't have to, you don't have to be familiar with and stay with where you're familiar. You don't have to stay in that place because you feel like it's where you belong. You can love yourself and you can climb out of that hole. You really, really can. So, Mark, as uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot more that we can dive into, you know, regarding the specifics. And and um, and I would definitely like to have you come back on the show so we can get into, you know, certain topics, you know, even like the, you know, I think you said earlier about how music is a way for you, uh, not only for you to have a cathartic experience, you know, regarding um burning off some of those chemicals when we when we when we feel threatened by something but um also it's a way of, for you to express yourself and you identify now with the stories um that you hear in the lyrics um what uh what would be something mark that you would want well two things one what would be something that you would want uh, a listener to know um from from your story number one and number two what's the best way for someone to be able to get in contact with you I would like people to know that suicide is not going to solve your problems. Suicide is a permanent, permanent thing that is actually only for, a, it's a permanent solution for a temporary problem. Mental illness is temporary. When you accept it, when you can address it and accept it, it's so manageable. And it's something that, that, that you can learn how to love yourself and really be able to enjoy life. It's, it's not going to stay that way the whole time. Suicide is not going to solve your problems. And if anything, I would tell people, if you're ever contemplating or thinking about it, if you don't have a family member, you don't have someone close by, there's 1-800 numbers. There's lots of resources to talk to a complete stranger to let you know that it's not it's not worth it. It's not a good idea. There's, there's lots of resources out there, even if you feel alone. There's phone numbers. There's I, I personally run a few support groups on, on Facebook as well. There's lots of things out there for people who are struggling. If you need it, don't be embarrassed and don't hesitate. If you if you think it's a thought, go through with it and, and talk to somebody. If you're thinking about suicide, don't go through with it and talk to somebody. Make, make sure 
you you can express how you feel. Don't be embarrassed and don't just, eh. If you get a thought or image in your head, just don't, eh, brush it off and think it's nothing. Accept the thought that you, accept the fact you had that thought and, and address it. Start Start addressing it and know why you're thinking that way and who you can talk to about it. And the best way to get a hold of me is everything I do publicly is on Facebook. You, you can find me on Facebook to either send a friend request or a PM. I run quite a few support groups that you can be able to find if you need anything. Or on YouTube, you can find my channel, Mark Ellert, or just mark my words, Mental Health Awareness Saved My Life. Those are the two best platforms and avenues to find me. And feel free to reach out at any point if anyone needs someone to talk to or any information or resources. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you reaching out to me over the summer, and I'm really glad that we were able to connect and uh, have a couple conversations over the summer and for you to be able to be on the show um, at this time. Uh, and, I, and for the work that you do, your story itself is, a, is, a, is an awesome story, and, and not just what happened, but most importantly, what you're doing with your life now through your speaking and through your music. And so um, I really appreciate uh, you being part of the journey today and uh, look forward to us doing some work uh, in the future. Um, so what I'd like to, again, Mark, uh, Mark mentioned that if someone is struggling in that darkness right now, um, you know, there is people, you know, there are people out there that can be a resource. And if for some reason that you end up not, uh, you know, someone isn't able to pick up or whatever, you just keep calling until you find someone that does. And the number 988 is the suicide, uh, the new three digit uh, suicide hotline number, as well as you can text that as or call that 988, or you can um, text 741-741 is the crisis text line. Um, as always, I appreciate you being here and look forward to being with you next week.